Amen. If you have a Bible, would you turn with me to 2 Corinthians? My name is Jody Sledge. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Fellowship. And it's my joy today to be preaching God's word for us today. We started last week a series through this letter we call 2 Corinthians. uh, In a series that we're calling Gospel Power Through Human Weakness. We all have weaknesses. We all struggle. But God is more than faithful and the gospel is more than powerful. And so today we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And we're going to look at verses 12 through 22. So let's read the word of God together. This is the word of the Lord. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so towards you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand. And I hope you will fully understand. Just as you did partially understand us. And and on the day of the Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first. So that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word today, God. We're thankful for the Apostle Paul writing this letter to the Corinthian church so many years ago, Lord, but it's been preserved in your word so that we might know what it looks like to be a faithful church, what it looks like to be a genuine church, Lord, what it looks like to be a sincere church. So God, would you help us? Would you shape us? Would you grow us? Lord, would you make us like Jesus? And we pray these things in his name. Amen. That church is just a bunch of fake people. Christians are just so two-faced. That church doesn't care about anybody but themselves. Those people, they're just so judgmental. That church is just not very sincere. Have you ever said something like that about a church? 
Have you ever thought something about a church? Have you ever felt like those things were true of every church? You know, the sad reality is that churches can often be insincere. The church of Jesus Christ was meant to be a beacon of hope and light in the world. The church was meant to welcome everyone with a welcome from Jesus. The church was meant to be a community of honesty and genuine relationships. Church is meant to be a place of grace and love. But sadly, many churches are known for caring more about a political or social agendas. They're known for caring more about themselves than the communities around them. Churches can be known for very little grace and very little love. The sad reality is that churches can often be insincere. So Christ Fellowship Church, we've come to God's word today, and God is asking us this question. Are you a sincere church? Are we a sincere church? Are we a community that is honest and genuine in our relationships? Are we a place where even the worst of sinners can find a welcome from Jesus? Are we a church ready to serve our city and to be content not just to serve ourselves? Are we a church where there's real grace and real love? Are we a sincere church? You see, Paul is starting this letter to the Corinthian church and And we see in him an example of someone who has a sincere love and care for the church of Jesus. We'll see today him explaining that while his plans have changed, his heart for them has not. And we'll see also Paul's eager expectation that the Corinthian church will see and will receive his sincere love. So as we hear God's word today, my goal is to help us grow to have Paul's same genuine love and care for the church. My prayer is that by the grace of God, Christ Fellowship Church would be a sincere church. So let's dig into the word today. First, let's see Paul's example. Paul's example. So Paul had a long relationship with the Corinthian church. He's the one who started the church. He wrote a lot of letters back and forth to them. He visited them many times. But at some point, there was a plot within this church to reject Paul's spiritual leadership over them. Some were saying Paul is too weak to follow. Others were questioning Paul's motives. Maybe he doesn't really love us. And it seems like there was one person in particular who was seeking to get rid of Paul altogether. And so Paul makes what he calls a painful visit to them. He shows up to deal with these problems and it doesn't go well at all. And so he writes them a letter, a letter that we don't have in the Bible. And it's often called the severe letter. And it seems like they receive it well. Titus meets up with Paul later and gives a good report. Things are better between you and the Corinthian church. And so Paul writes this letter that we call 2 Corinthians to continue to confirm and affirm his love for the church, to continue to deal with these issues. 
And he writes here at the beginning of the letter to remind them of his sincere love for them. Look at verse 12 with me. He says, For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, and not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. Paul is defending himself to the church. Remember, there are some in the church who are accusing Paul of having impure motives. So Paul tells them, hey, my conscience is clear. Paul and his co-workers have behaved with simplicity and sincerity. They've acted this way in the world, but even more so toward the church. And so Paul is even boasting in his sincerity. Now, he's not boasting in himself and his efforts. He even recognizes that it's because of the grace of God that he has acted this way. He calls it godly sincerity, meaning it comes from God. And he knows that he has acted by the grace of God. Paul knows that God is the source of his sincerity. And notice what he says in verses 13 and 14. We are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand. And I hope that you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Listen, Paul is an open book here. He says, I got no impure motives. I got no hidden agenda. What I wrote to you in my letter is what I meant. See, what he writes, he means. Paul is sincere, and he wants them to understand that. And he even knows that one day they will. He says, in the end, on that great day of Jesus Christ, when he returns, and when everything hidden is brought to light, the Corinthian church will see that he really was sincere. And they will rejoice, and they will boast in one another. Brothers and sisters, we will do well to follow the example of Paul here. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, he says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Where do you think Paul learned to be sincere? Well, from Jesus, of course. I mean, think about it. Jesus never once had impure motives. Never once did Jesus put himself above others. Never once was he two-faced. Never once was he deceitful. He was never fake. Jesus was an open book of grace and truth and love. Jesus is the most sincere person who has ever and who will ever live. And it's because of his sincere love for us that he went to the cross to save us to rescue us from our selfishness and our scheming hearts and to create in us this kind of godly sincerity. So we would do well to follow Paul's example as he follows Christ's. It's why Jesus died and rose again. And so we would do well to strive to be sincere in our love and care for one another. Notice back in verse 12 that Paul tells us how to do that. He contrasts godly sincerity with earthly wisdom. Literally, that phrase means fleshly wisdom. There is a wisdom at work in the, we the world that seems like the right way to live. 
But it's not God's way. It's the way of the flesh. It's the way of sin. Doesn't Proverbs 14, 12 remind us that there is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. I mean, just think about the difference here between godly sincerity and earthly wisdom. Earthly wisdom says, do whatever it takes to get ahead. But godly sincerity says, look to others' interests ahead of your own. Earthly wisdom says results are what matter most. But godly sincerity says character is what matters most. Earthly wisdom says people are to be used. Godly sincerity says people are to be loved. Earthly wisdom says never back down, never give in. But godly sincerity says never stop giving grace. Christ Fellowship, if we're going to be a sincere church, we must refuse to live by earthly wisdom. We must press into the grace of Jesus and allow him to create godly sincerity in us, in our hearts and and even in our lives. Let me give a, a few simple ways to do this. First, if you're not a member of a local church, then be a member. (coughs) Membership is not about having your name on a roster. It's about being a part of a community, a local community of followers of Jesus. Because it's in that community that we can grow in godly sincerity. See, joining a church is a very practical way that you can look out for the interests of others over your own. Think about it. It's going to be hard to be sincere in your love and care for the church if you won't commit yourself to the church. When you join a church, what you're saying is, I don't want to just receive, but I also want to give. So we would love for you to join Christ Fellowship Church or or any other healthy gospel believing church in our city. But if you're not a member of a church, become one so that you can then grow in godly sincerity with others in the church. Another simple way to do this is to build gospel-centered relationships with others in the church. Real, genuine relationships. The best way to grow in being a sincere church is for us to have sincere relationships. You need a relationship or relationships where people know and see the real you. Relationships where you can confess your real sins, where you can admit your real doubts, where you can show your real weaknesses. I mean, how can you ever be sincere if no one, no one knows the real you? How can you really love people if you don't know the real them? Building genuine Gospel-centered relationships will help us grow in godly sincerity. I mean, we've got community groups here to help you do that. We have gospel groups to help you do that. I mean, just look around. We have a room full of people to help you do that. See, the question is not, can we have real relationships with other Christians? The question is, will we? have real relationships with other Christians. There are more than enough opportunities 
for us to build genuine gospel-centered relationships. And so, brothers and sisters, God is calling us in his word to grow in godly sincerity. So let's look to Jesus as we seek to follow Paul's example. Notice second in our passage. Let's look now to Paul's explanation. So Paul moves on now in chapter 1 to explain something that caused the church to question whether or not he was sincere. In verses 15 and 16, Paul reminds them that he planned to visit them again after that painful visit. He wanted to give them a second experience of grace and fellowship together. He was going to pass through on his way to Macedonia and even stop by again on his way back to Judah. But he didn't. There was a change of plans. And this was something that some people in the church used against him. Look at verse 17 again. He says, was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? You see, there were some in the church accusing Paul of saying one thing, but intending to do another. That's what vacillating means. I know because I had to look it up this week. (laughs) They're accusing Paul of doing what Jesus said not to do. Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. But they're saying, Paul, you said you were going to come, but you didn't. So you must not have intended to come in the first place. See, they say he wanted to come and see us, but he had no intention of really coming. But Paul says, no, I wasn't doing that at all. My plans did change, yes, but my heart for you all didn't. I really did want to come, but I couldn't. Notice how Paul defends himself. He compares his actions to the faithfulness of God and the truthfulness of the gospel. Look again at verse 18 and 19. He says, As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God... Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. Do you see what Paul is saying? Paul came to the Corinthian church proclaiming a faithful God, so he would never be intentionally unfaithful. He ministered alongside of Silas and Timothy, proclaiming the truth of the gospel, so he would never intentionally be untruthful. Paul serves a God who is faithful and true. He serves a God who keeps his word. He serves a God who would never go back on his promise. That's what he says in verse 20. Look with me again. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. All of God's promises are yes in Jesus. And it's through Jesus that we utter our amen to God. The word amen means it is so or certainly. And Paul is referring to a time when the gathered church would come together and say amen together. Maybe at the end of a prayer Maybe at the end of a a song or at a time of praise. 
the gathered body of Jesus would declare together, Amen. Certainly. It's true. It's so. It was an expression of praise and confidence in a faithful God who keeps his promises. A faithful God who keeps all of his promises in Jesus. So I want you to do something for me today. I want to get a little audience participation. I'm going to say a promise that is fulfilled amazingly in Jesus. And I want us as the people of Jesus to say amen together. As an expression of our praise and our confidence in our faithful God who keeps his promises in Jesus. So I'll say it and then we'll say amen together. Let's go. Jesus is the promised seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. Amen. Amen. Jesus is the promised son of Abraham who would bring blessings to all the families of the earth. Amen. Jesus is the promised prophet who would be greater than Moses. Amen. Jesus is the promised priest who would bring a new covenant by his blood. Amen. Jesus is the promised king, the son of David, who would sit on the throne forever. Amen. Jesus is the promised suffering servant who would die to save his people. Amen. He's the promised Passover lamb. Amen. He's the promised good shepherd. Amen. He's the promised redeemer. Amen. He's the promised savior. He's the promised ruler of heaven and earth. All right, hold on just for this one for a second. His life secures the promise of righteousness. His death secures the promise of forgiveness. His resurrection secures the promise of eternal life. His ascension secures the promise of endless mercy and grace. And his return will secure the promise of dwelling forever in the light of his love. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus. Okay. So what's Paul's point here? You say, oh, that's a great couple of little verses there, but what, what is he saying? He's saying that he is going to be faithful because God is faithful. I wonder if you know God as a faithful Savior today. Maybe you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, and maybe God seems to you anything but faithful. Maybe he seems absent from your life or Maybe he seems too far away. Maybe he seems like he just doesn't care. God has proved his love and faithfulness for sinners by sending his only son to die on the cross. He came to save unfaithful people like us, people with selfish motives, people who have turned away from God. He lived the life that you could never live, and he died on the cross, the death that you deserve, and he rose again to prove God's faithfulness to you. If you would repent and believe today, even today for the first time, you can be saved. That's a promise you can take to the bank. It's a promise that will never fail. Anyone who believes in Jesus and turns from their sin will be saved, forgiven, Raised to new life in Christ. So would you do that today? If you've never done that, do that today for the very first time. Trust in the faithfulness of the gospel. Give your life to Jesus. And join us in saying amen to our faithful God.
So remember, Paul here is in the middle of talking about his sincerity and he points us to the faithfulness of God. If the God and Father of Jesus is trusted, then his servants that he sends can be trusted. Do you see what Paul is saying there? Paul is not saying, hey, I'm just as faithful as God is faithful. He's not saying that. He's saying you trust the promises of God. You believe the gospel to be true. So trust those who preach the gospel to you. Trust those that God sent to you. And so Christ Fellowship, if we're going to be a sincere church, we must be trusted just as our faithful God is trusted. Now, there's certainly not a person in this room that does not have some sin in their lives. There's not a church on the planet that is 100% faithful and true. Even this church has flaws and failures. But brothers and sisters, Christ has redeemed us so that we might strive to be faithful. He has saved us from our unfaithfulness so that we can strive to be faithful to him and to one another. So if we're going to be a sincere church, then we must strive with all of his might to be faithful and trustworthy. So this means... Yes, letting our yes be yes and our no be no. We need to put away any desire to say one thing and to mean another thing. Young people, we have a struggle with this, don't we? Are you going to come tonight? Yeah, maybe. (laughs) We might try to make it. And what we mean is I'm not going to go, right? (laughs) We need to make sure that we use our words in a way that's truthful and honest. Even James says you cannot bless God with the same mouth and then turn around and curse your brother or your sister in Christ. We need to put away falsehood and speak the truth with one another, even when it's hard. Brothers and sisters, God is calling us to be faithful because he is faithful. He's calling us to be trustworthy because the good news of the gospel is trustworthy. And as we press into being faithful and trustworthy, we can grow to be like Paul and to be a sincere church together. So let's look to Jesus as we seek to be faithful and true. Notice lastly in our passage, we've seen Paul's example and his explanation. And lastly, we see Paul's expectation. You might look at the letter of 2 Corinthians and think, man, this is just a mess. Really, if you look at 1 Corinthians, you can think, man, this church is a mess. But when we get to 2 Corinthians, we think, man, things between this church and Paul, they're just a mess. How is it ever going to be sorted out? How is there ever going to be peace between them? We could be tempted to think there's just no way that this is going to turn out for the better. But Paul ends our passage today with two verses that express his eager expectation. Really, you could say the whole letter is filled with Paul's eager expectation. Yes, he's writing to deal with some heavy stuff. He's pouring out his heart and his soul into this letter. But he's eager, eagerly expecting God to work through them. He's eager for them to receive his leadership over them. He's eager for their relationships to be restored. 
He's eager for them to be at peace with one another. And Paul knows that all of this can and will happen. It can happen and he knows it will happen. But not because of him and not because of them, but because of Jesus. Paul gives us four things that God has done in Christ that gives him eager expectation for this mess that they're in together. Notice first in verse 21. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ. That word establish is a legal term. It refers to a legally binding agreement. Call that a contract. When I said I do and I signed that marriage license, I was legally binding myself to Jeannie, my bride. When you sat down at the bank and you signed that paperwork for that mortgage for your house, you were legally binding yourself to the bank. When your phone does a software update and you got to scroll through all of the terms and agreements so you can hit that I agree at the bottom, you are legally binding yourself with the creator of that software on your phone. We understand these things. And what Paul is saying here is that he and the Corinthian church are bound together in God's eyes. It's not just a relationship they came up with. Hey, you want to hang out sometime? It's not like a Sam's Club membership. Not like a month-to-month streaming service. We'll do a month at a time and just kind of see how it goes. God established them together forever in Christ. And that gives Paul hope. It gives him hope that they will work all of this mess out. Notice second in verse 21, again, that God has anointed us. Literally, that means God has Christ us. He has anointed us. He's set us apart for the privileges and the rights of the kingdom of God. We have been set apart to serve the Lord and to be a part of his kingdom together. And so Paul knows that whatever problems he has with the Corinthian church, one day it's all going to be worked out. He already said this back in verse 15. When Jesus returns and we receive the kingdom, you're going to boast in us as we boast in you. As believers, we all share in a common calling and a common destiny. And that gives Paul hope. It gives him hope that this mess is going to be sorted out. Notice third in verse 22. He says, God has also put his seal upon us. This is another legal term. It refers to marking the ownership of something. A lot of times it was done with a family ring that had a crest on it. And they got the document there and they pour wax on it. And then they press the the ring into the wax to make it have a seal on it. It's about ownership. I now own that boat or that house. And so what Paul is saying is that as believers, we belong to God. He has put his mark on us and we belong to him together. And it's because we are his, he's going to work in and through us. God's put his seal upon us. And that gives Paul hope. Hope that he's going to work out this mess with the Corinthian church. And notice last in verse 22, that God has given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. 
The Holy Spirit's work in our life is a guarantee that God will finish the work he began in us. The word literally is a down payment. You put a down payment on something as proof that you really do intend to pay it full, to pay it until the end. God has put the Holy Spirit into our hearts as a down payment on the work that he is doing in us and in our lives together. Think of this. There is no problem that we can face as a church that the Holy Spirit of God cannot help us solve. You say that again. There is no problem that we face as a church that the Holy Spirit of God, who has been poured out into our hearts, cannot help us solve. He's our helper. He's our advocate. He's God's strength at work in our weaknesses. God has given us his Holy Spirit. And Paul said that gives him hope that they will work out their problems. Do you hear what Paul is saying to the Corinthian church? He said, hey, th- listen, things might be difficult between us. But God is at work. He's going to help us. He's going to work all of these problems out. And so all of that work of God that he has done for us in Christ leads Paul to eager expectation that the church will see his sincerity and they will respond with a sincere love towards him as well. You see, Paul's hope for a church is not trying really hard. He's not saying, I know we're going to work this out because I got a 10 step plan for us to reconcile our differences. He's not saying, listen, I'm going to show up and I'm going to lay down the law and I'm going to make sure everybody gets with the program. His hope is in the work of God that God has already done for them in the gospel. His hope is in the things that have already been done for us in Jesus Christ. His hope ultimately for them and for us as a church is Jesus. And so brothers and sisters, that's where we should hope today too. How can we be a sincere church? Jesus is how. Because he's bound us together, we can have sincere relationships. Because he has anointed us, we can say with confidence that one day all of our problems will be worked out. Because he has sealed us, we can be honest with one another because no truth can change the fact that we are his. And he has given us his spirit so that we can grow in sincerity. So we can grow in forgiveness. So we can grow in giving grace to one another. So we can grow in showing kindness. We can grow in genuine love. Listen, there's no problem among us that the Holy Spirit of God cannot help us solve. And so we can be a sincere church because of Jesus. And so, friends, God is calling us to have Paul's eager expectation. God has already done so much in our lives and in our church, and God is doing so much more even now. And that should give us hope. So, brothers and sisters, the power of the gospel is at work among us. 
So let's strive to be a sincere church as we put all our hope in Jesus. You know, I'm so thankful for how I see Jesus at work in our church, shaping us and growing us, helping us to be a sincere church. I'm thankful to see how so many of you rallied around a family in our church dealing with cancer and loved them, served them, cried with them, prayed for them. I'm so thankful to hear the story of a family being the hands and feet of Jesus to a single mom who literally her car broke down in their front yard and them loving her and serving her and sharing Jesus with her. I'm thankful to hear about how Christ is working in our relationships to help us walk in the light together. Men and women getting together in gospel groups to confess sin to one another, to remind one another every week of the good news of the gospel, to pray for one another, to hold one another up. I'm thankful for how so many of you faithfully and joyfully serve in so many ways. I'm thankful for how so many of you give generously and sacrificially. I'm thankful for a group of pastors to work alongside who genuinely love you and want to serve you and pray for you. Listen, I'm so humbled and amazed at what God has done in and through our church. But listen, there's more. There's always more. There's always more room for us to grow. There's always more people in our church and in our community to serve. There's always going to be problems for us to work through. There's always more prayers to pray for one another. There's always more sorrows to share. There's always more burdens to bear. There will always be more mercy to extend. There will always be more love to display. There will always be more grace to give and to give and to give. And so brothers and sisters, will you join me in praying that God would make us a sincere church, a church that puts away earthly wisdom and walks in godly sincerity. A church that seeks to reflect our faithful and trustworthy God by being faithful and trustworthy to one another. A church that eagerly expects to see the power of the gospel at work even through our weakness. Listen, people might say many things about Christ Fellowship Church. And maybe some of them are true. But the most important thing about our church is that we are His. We belong to Jesus. And so let's take the sincere love and grace that He showed us, that He lavished upon us, and let's show that same love and grace to one another. Let's show it to our city around us. Let's even show it to the whole world. So Christ fellowship by the grace of God and Jesus Christ. Let's be a sincere church. Let's pray together.
Father, thank you so much for your word today. God, we, we read parts of Paul's letters like this and at times can be confused about what exactly is going on, what exactly he's saying. But I pray that more than anything, we would see his example of his sincere love and care for that church in Corinth. An example that was modeled and was given to us fully in Jesus Christ. And so even as we are encouraged by Paul, let us be blessed and encouraged by Jesus today, who was never fake, never two-faced, never had impure motives, but always sincere love and grace towards sinners like us. So Lord, would you help us? God, you've spoken to us through your word and you keep your word. So God, would you continue to work in us, continue to bless us, continue to grow us so that we might bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ through our sincere love and care for one another and the world around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.